Hey there, we're the West Lab Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, so, senior night came and went. Uh, John and I were in attendance. Um... But before we before we get into the the Penn State game, I I just want to say, shout out to everyone who showed up for Senior Night. I have not seen I, John. We were talking about this last night. The percentage of purple in a venue, I have never seen that high. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's there's a whole discussion to go with like this, right? Like like you were alluding to, right? This disconnect between the game and everything else. And the crowd, you're right, was a huge part of it. And, and yes, you can all remember times where Northwestern dominated the, you know, dominated the percentage of fans in the stands. But it's rare that you have a situation where a Northwestern venue, particularly football or basketball, is absolutely packed. And it's still 90 plus percent Northwestern fans, right? I mean, usually you have some major team in town. The Purdue game being a great example, right? Fantastic Northwestern turnout, but you had such a huge Purdue contingent there. And you just didn't have that for Penn State. It was a, I mean, I'm going to say, I mean, it was 95% full and it was Cats fans. And you're right. It was so special and right. Something that we've so rarely been able to see in our history as Northwestern fans. And, and it was a sight to see, and it got you so pumped up. Sounded good. Looked good on TV. It was, yeah, it was an epic night that just unfortunately did not end in the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, going to overtime with Penn state and then to lose on that shot pretty much. I mean, it, it was technically, it was not technically a buzzer beater, but, you know, they take a they hit a three with 0.5 seconds left, and that's pretty much all she wrote. However, the fact that Bowie got as good of a look as he did in on in that last desperation was, you know, that that just speaks so much of of what he's been able to be as a leader to this team. Yeah, he was great again. Um, I overtime, whatever. I like. I go. I kind of go back to. Um, the end of regulation and there was a there was kind of a key no call on a couple drives that he had that that I just Northwestern only shot six free throws Penn State shot 13 I'm not complaining I'm just kind of pointing out like there were a couple of moments where I think Boo thought he had gotten to the line he had earned the opportunity to put the cats ahead you know right as regulation was winding down and that's the way it and bounces you could, sometimes you could see him you could see him super hot like yelling yeah. at the refs yeah it was, and, you know, again, it, it's so difficult to separate one from the other, the atmosphere and everything else that was going on in that stadium with the game. And after the game, you know, immediately after I tweeted and I, I misspoke because what I said was, you know, we haven't really had a gut punch loss yet this season. And everyone was like, we've had two Rutgers in Illinois. And it's like, you're right. And yet I think what I was meaning to say was, Something felt different about this one. It, it hit worse. And I think the main reason it hit worse was because of that disconnect, right? Where as a Northwestern fan and especially, you know, degenerate diehards like us, right, who've gone back just forever and ever just bleeding purple, right? And I think 
going back to those early internet days and a time period where you were not you were not able to know right off the bat everyone else who cared as much as you cared and was just going you know going for it 110% as a fan the way that you were there wasn't that interconnectivity that there is now um and always dreaming for for environments like this right for like just this massive group all united right and the implicit thing being if 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 such a thing were to happen what could stand in our way and you fold that in with it being senior night and the senior celebrations and the send off that all the seniors got that the students and the fans gave and just this feeling like there's no flipping way we're losing this game and then we lost it and it was so there's just that feeling that just it, it just yes gut punch because of the way we lost but also just being like i can't believe we lost it just seemed like everything was aligned in our favor to win that game um, well, and, well, and because and, of that, and, yeah. it's, and a team we should have beat, frank, frankly, yeah. like like right. a, a Penn State right. team that yes has been scraping and clawing together a resume. They've had some nice wins, but unlike the game at Illinois, unlike the Rutgers game two months ago, I mean, I just like expectations were so different when we played Rutgers in early January. Um, but that Illinois game, I mean, Northwestern was was a was a uh, an underdog on the road. Um. And and like you know, I think I think you look you you look at that and say, ah, these two teams are pretty evenly matched. When you give Illinois the the benefit of the doubt on their home floor, um, Northwestern and Penn State coming in this game were not teams that were seen as as being evenly matched. Now Northwestern's play over this these last three games after that incredible homestand, taking down taking down Giants. Um, you know, maybe you recalibrate that and you say, okay, well, what what about a Northwestern team where Chase Audige isn't hitting as many shots um, and where they don't shoot super great from two, although Cats had a nice game from three. Um, you know, they, they weren't as good on the defensive side, but, you know, this is a Penn State team that just bombs from three all day and, and they stretched the Cats that way and, and made good on, on some of those shots, including that final one. So, I, you know, I think, but that that to me, that's the difference. Is that this is the first game all year that I felt like Northwestern really, not should have won in the in the waning moments of the game, should have won and taken care of business coming in to the game and did not. Yeah, I, I think that's a big key, especially like in the first half when you know Penn State went like twelve minutes without scoring, and you know, the Cats really should have taken advantage of that and just blown the doors open because I think if if they had blown the doors open and gotten out to like a 15 20 point lead in the first half it, you know it's a different it's a, a totally different story but I mean it was just neck and neck back and forth back and forth and you know it turned into a rock fight and I I'd, I don't know if if we had been able to get out big I think the complexion of the game changes yeah, it looks like cat, cat, cats went scoreless for about three and a half minutes. Yeah, no, I mean that. I totally agree. I think Northwestern lost this game at the beginning of the game. I think when there was that chance to to put them away. I think you have the first half. It's so funny. I mean, Pickett. When Pickett, let's, let's talk it. Let's talk about Pickett when, for a second. When Pickett's not generating buckets, either primarily or through the offense, you look at that guy and you're like, "What would you say you do here?" Because whether he's playing well or not, the clinical basketball term for the basketball that Pickett plays is friggin' gross. 
that is the clinical term for the kind of game he plays. And when it's not effective, you look and you're like, did you like learn to dribble yesterday? Like you're backing your way down the court. And then nothing was coming together for them. And we were getting all these open looks for three and not cashing them in, which again is a theme. And again, it's like this team's not stacked with like, it's not Iowa shooting threes out there. And this is, these are all things we were aware of, but still it is brutal, especially in front of a incredibly partisan crowd that's ready to blow the roof off anytime a three goes in and did all night that we just were not cashing those in early on because Penn state adjusted at halftime. Their D got better. They, they were working that zone to much more maximum effect and taking away a lot of those looks. And then Pickett got his thing going. And man, again, it's so gross, but it's so effective when he's got it going. He just turns his back to the basket and bulls his way in and then draws a double team. And then I give him credit. Like the guy is great at passing out of double teams. He had 11 assists and he put it together. Um, but I, it, it's I, funny. I quibble a little bit with the word gross. I mean, this is this is classic oh. like big man basketball, right? Oh. I mean, this this is well, how LeBron. But he's not J- a big man. But this is no, how he's LeBron not a big James man. has has reinvented his oh. career by doing this exact thing. I I yes yeah exactly. <laughs> it's not gross. It's just, it's just it's just basketball. Oh. That's like I don't know. That's like saying no, like I, like running well, the ball in football is gross because it's not throwing. I don't know. It's just oh, no, it just I, is what I, it is. If oh LeBron James would be a pretty football player. This is a whole other discussion. Stop trying to rope me into LeBron James's <laughs> gross ass games, guys. We're talking about something else. But it does dovetail well with uh, a discussion Sammy and I had after the game because we ran into Noah Kaufman, friend of the pod. Um, Northwestern sports broadcaster after the game and we were talking and Noah had a similar view to Scudge which is he's like Pickett plays Big Ten basketball it's Big Ten physical basketball and I was reminded bully another ball. friend of the pod yeah it's bully ball for sure but I was reminded another friend of the pod Garth Robertson because Scudge early on you referred to and Kaufman said exactly the same thing that's like look we run our offense through a guy who likes to use his off arm to effect, especially when he's going to the ball. Boo does that. Um, I bring up our friend Garth Robertson because Garth long ago coined a term that is the perfect, perfect term for the difference between these two. It's what he calls aesthetic mobility, which is when one guy looks really pretty doing it and the other guy looks like he's trying to box one-handed I draw a line between the two. And literally, Pickett turns his back, takes his off arm, shoves and extends, and drives you back into the lane, and then draws the double. And I'm like, it's gross, but whatever. He he could be called for a push-off every single time. I get that you're not going to call it every time, but it... He could that, easily be that, called that for a is on. that is gross. That like 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 that's definitely gross. That's like Edie's little, you know, subtle shove on Right. Or not so subtle shove, I should say, on rebounds. Like that is gross. The whole like I'm just gonna back you down and use my ass and my and my lower body strength to move you towards the hoop. Like I'm cool with that. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I'm just saying it's gross looking, it works. And that's why he's gonna be first team all Big Ten. And for all of us who hadn't watched a heck of a lot of Penn State basketball, because why would you? In the first half, we're you're sitting there, you're going like 
this guy? And then the second half, you're like, oh, I get it. But yeah. that's – I, at the I end, feel like I've, the, I've seen so many highlights of – Well, like that's how they beat Penn, beat Ohio State is that exact – Oh, like yeah. That I was mean, their, their winning oh, bucket was that exact – I mean that, that's the one thing they sure. have to go to after – For sure. Uh, other than three-pointers. It's like what Purdue does with Edie, except instead of dumping the ball into him, they started out at the three-point line, and then he bulls his way in. But the end effect is the same. Either you draw the double or he's passing out, and he's really good at passing out of it. And that's where all their threes came from. And in the second half, that's they got it going, and they figured it out. And and again, they adjusted, and it's again, we – are an offensive snake bitten team. We've had, you know, the second halves of several recent games have been real bugaboos. But again, we always have to remember like this team, the you know, the soul of this team is defensive. And really, at the end of the day, you don't have to be the greatest offense, but if you have a bunch of open threes, you got to cash those in yeah. early on. And I, I mean, because I, I well, and we a and, lot and of, that, that goes both ways though. Because if you're like we've heralded this D all year, and we've heralded how effectively they close out and that they don't allow a lot of open threes. I mean, that, that game against Maryland, those were a lot of contested mm-hmm. threes that Maryland was draining. Mm-hmm. Penn State had a lot of wide open looks where our guys got either confused or twisted up. Like, they did a great job of making not just one extra pass, but two to find an open guy. And that that is where... To me, that is the other places the scheme was lost. Is I, I just I just think our perimeter defense let us down a little bit uh, down the stretch. And and I I think that was by design because I was sitting there watching Penn State. You know, every time they brought the ball down the down the floor, Pickett had Audige on him, and yeah. every single time they screen they screened it up and forced a switch. So they they were switching Audige off of Pickett every single time because the few times that that. Uh, Adige was on picket, like he was like inches away from getting steals. Like his defense was was amazing. And when they started screening him off and doing it in such a way that you know Adige couldn't like push through the screen, the one time he did created another wide open three. So you know they had to switch, and that then put like a a buoy or a berry on on picket who could then put uh you know, hit it, put it in reverse and back his way down into the lane. Well, well, and just, um, just to give audits, audits, some plaudits here. Like the, the announcers were just talking, we're talking about how he, he, like how, like how can you give the big 10 defense of the year award to anyone other than him? And then they talked about how effective he was uh, on picket. And then there was a critical play. I, I think it was, it was it, within the last three minutes of the game where he like locked down winter and blocked Winter in in a key moment, and and Northwestern was able to force, uh, I I believe, a shot clock violation. Maybe they recovered the ball like right at the end, but either way, it was it was coming back to them, and that was that was Audige just locking down. And um, I mean, he was he was incredible in that way. I think I think the the difficulty I'm talking about is is more just you know that the the intimidating kind of flying around defense we've seen from Northwestern throughout the year, like on the perimeter specifically in, in challenging three point shooters didn't quite look the way it had in, in, in previous games. Yeah. And, and you know, so everyone now, and I think this goes back to what we were saying after the game where in terms of like gut punch losses, because 
Northwestern Nation was pretty pissed after this game. I was even kind of a little surprised by that. I mean, a lot of people were really pissed. A lot of people were pissed at Collins for failure to adjust in the second half. Again, these are old things that, you know, there's a lot of five years baked into stuff like this when people are saying these kind of things about Collins. I would say that, yes, Scuzz was right. Like, this game was different because it, like, we were the better team, and I still feel like we're the better team than Penn State. Um and that it really felt like we should have won, right? Yeah, we weren't on the road um, at State Farm Arena. Like, we were at home in one of the, you know, arguably the greatest Northwestern home crowd ever. But don't lose the forest through the trees in a couple of ways. One, Penn State's a good basketball team. Penn State's got a shot to go 10-10 and 10 and finish 19-12. and 12. That makes that one of the better Penn State teams ever. <laughs> um, and they're... So, A, that. And B... Yes, it's easy as a Northwestern fan to be like, how do we let that Rutgers game get away? How do we let that Illinois game get away? How do we let that Penn State game get away? Every team in the Big Ten's got three stories like that this season. As and, we record right now. Well, yeah. and, and to add to that, Northwestern has no bad losses. The first time freaking ever, people, ever. Because how many times during the Bill Carmody era did we get close to this 20-game ceiling or even hit the 20-game ceiling and we had some inexplicable loss to, like, Niagara State from the non-conference. This team took care of their business when they needed to 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 allow for this type of, like, I mean, you like, it's the end of the Big Ten season. Guys are beat up. They're somewhat exhausted. Everybody's seen a ton of Northwestern tape. They know exactly what to do to slow these guys down. I mean, there's a, there's a reason Odish can't find the bucket as well on the offensive end. Right. Um, so I just, I think that's worth calling out because yes, I agree with some of the critique of Collins, um, in the second half, I agree with uh, a, a, a lot of frustration with these last three games, but this team did what they needed to do two and three months ago so that they would still be in good position despite a slide like this oh. late in the year. Right, exactly. And again, it's like, yeah, this is our longest losing streak of the year. And again, it's three games. And yeah, it seems like a lot. We totally have the chance to go on the road to Rutgers and win like that. A hundred percent is possible. We should have beaten them last time we played them. And yeah, that was at home. But again, that was a world of time away. I mean, that Rutgers game from like what a home game at Northwestern is like now. But what I was going to say is as we record right now, it's a six way tie for second place in the Big Ten right now. Six-way tie. If Michigan State wins on Saturday, it'll be a seven-game tie. Seven Big Ten teams will be 11-8 and eight in the conference. Four of those teams are 11-8 and eight and 20-10 and 10 overall. Maryland, Indiana, Illinois, and Northwestern. Every It's a rock fight. Every single game. And Northwestern's absolutely in that conversation. And yeah, it's like it stinks to have this slide later on. But Penn State is barely off the pace that this massive log jam for second is right now. So it's like every there's every team in the conference has lost a bunch of nail biters and is like, oh my God, but for the grace, you know, but for this, we could have 14 Big Ten wins right now. Um, and we're one of those teams. So yeah, I mean, be mad, want more, but still like, right. This team is still an awesome team that uh, that is going to keep playing for big things here. I have a very specific question for you guys as we go into Rutgers. Like, could did you? I haven't been able to find anything on this, but like, like I, I also I admittedly haven't looked that hard. But like, 
Nicholson only played 11 minutes against Penn State. Yeah. At so hard, and I, we and were, I don't think I saw him in the second half at all. Like, No, you're, so you're absolutely right. We, we, we were we, we very aware that. of this. Yep. We were very aware of this in the, mo- in the moment. And, um, and we're talking about it with Trish. Shout out to Trish if you're listening to the pod. Trish was one of the people who was sitting right next to us. Um, and, and we should say, right, shout out to Mike Gordon, too, um, for – Mike for um, helping hook us up with some great seats for the game was fantastic. Um, thank you again for that. And again, we, also a chance for us to meet some great people, including Trish. And we were talking with her and she pointed out, she was like, Nicholson has been on the bench for a long time. And we were like, yeah. And as best as I could tell, I mean, this is my personal read on it. Um, because Penn, so Penn State was... They just weren't playing a big man a lot. They played a relatively yeah. small lineup. And because, again, they're, they have this bull of a guard that they back him down into the paint. And then they spread all the shooters around him. And because of that, there was a lot of doubling and there was a lot of help defense going on. And I think my feeling was that they were preferring Titus for that just because he's more mobile. Um, well, well, and he played the game of his life on defense. Verhoeven did. Yeah, and, and you could see you could see Nicholson like early in the game. He was sprinting back and forth across the lane, uh, covering, trying to cover the the holes, and like I could see him getting getting winded. And yeah, you know gotcha. when when Penn okay. just stayed small, like it didn't make it, there wasn't a good reason to put him out there. Uh, as far as defensively, I mean, they were moving the ball around so much. Like Nicholson wasn't gonna. I mean, I guess you could have said, yeah, let's put, you know, um, yeah, let, let's have Nicholson in there, you know, taking the the backup, but you know, you, you can't do that. I just, he's 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 just been so useful from a rebounding standpoint. I feel like Penn State got so many offensive rebounds down the stretch in that game, and uh, he's always been good for like you know, four to six kind of critical points early in the game as you set the tone and you kind of create some space for Bowie. And, like, not, like Penn State playing smaller, like, that's that that wouldn't have been a factor in the second half. I just I, – what I'm really glad to hear is that there was a, a strategic rationale for this as opposed to, like, injury. He played 30 minutes in that last Rutgers game. I mean, he had seven rebounds, three points, like, two blocks. I think, I think he's going to be – if we are going to go to Rutgers um, this coming weekend and win – He's he's got to be a part of that. Well, I think and and we were I was kind of in. So it's funny because the time that he was out there defensively, Nicholson, I was kind of impressed what he's doing. But then in hindsight was like, oh, yeah, but this isn't sustainable because he was flashing. Um, I guess I want like pick and rolls or like blocking off like to, to run that high double because Michigan State would try to run screen and rolls and Penn, roll Penn State guards Penn, 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 State, State, Penn State and and roll guards across the top of the key and then try to roll to the hoop and we'd be flashing our big man up into the face to do that flash that show double for a second just to oh, stop yeah. the momentum and then he'd double back so I was watching being like wow Nicholson's really getting up to the top but then you stop and think about it you're like yeah but you can't have a gigantic guy like that constantly flashing to the top of the three-point line and then sprinting back under the hoop. Yeah, that, like that, again, rec- again, that, re- like, that recovery speed is going to break pretty quick. Yeah, Right. right. So, But again, I, my takeaway was that it was mainly like a, a lineup-specific thing. Cool. Um, no, that's, that's great to game. hear. That's yeah. great to hear. Um, 
before i mean so, if there if there was an injury issue it was not evident like there wasn't anything you could point to and say oh yeah he he twitched he tweaked an ear or anything like that maybe there was but i i don't think so yeah and again there was a lot of shoulda woulda coulda in this game i mean little things and yeah like i i really think there was that chance to build the big lead that would have made all the difference earlier on in the game um but i mean again Penn State's a really good team. If we secure that offensive board at the very end of overtime, we're looking at pushing the ball up the court with six, seven seconds left, and instead it went in the opposite direction, right? So the yeah, and so I mean it was it was that close. Before we move off though, I there was so I wanted to get back to the venue again. And again, this kind of disconnect that we were talking about between the game and everything else that was going on. And one thing that I think's really become apparent and Sam, you, I mean, I'm going to guess you agree too, but you have the, the filling up of this venue, right? Where you're seeing Welsh Ryan get packed with Northwestern fans, like to the gills for the first time ever. And Purdue. Yeah. I mean, there was a ton of Purdue fans there, but you really saw just this mass influx. If there's a home game for Northwestern hoops right now, it's just so many Cats fans. And then you realize it's almost like this organism coming to life. Because as Scuzz has brought up before, there's always the potential for this place to be a Cameron Indoor kind of place. And now what you have is this combination of two things where you have, it's a really intimate venue in that mold, right? Where everyone's right on top and everyone's got a good seat and you really have that. And it's really tight, but you also have a big wide concourse. So the place has this communal feel mm. and you can almost see everyone discovering it together. If you want to see a friend at the game, before the game, at halftime, no matter where you are, no matter where they are, it's super easy to get to that person. That is such and, a good point because I like I like I I felt like we discovered that when we when we did um, we all got together for a couple of women's games over the past couple of years right and then we would start by basically meeting in the concourse with whoever all was in our group and then make our way down to the stands but I I remember going to games I remember going to an IU game and my my colleague being there he was an IU grad and you know on the on the on the sides of the court it was just you know this diagonal sheet of of seats and rafters going up to the or benches going up to the rafters and clawing your way through there to find someone or connect with someone right. god god forbid you try to do it in the hallways um around the around the first floor it was impossible so it's it's such a it's such a good point john and it's i like this this experience is so critical for the future of northwestern basketball fans and attendance um, because I think like that point about everyone discovering it and, and finding like, whoa, this is a really fun thing. I mean, I think there's a reason that, you know, what, three or four games ago, we were kind of like imploring like, Hey, if you're a season ticket holder, you can't make it, please like, let us help you find somebody to sit in your seat. Who's a, who's a purple fan, like reach out. There's a reason we haven't heard from anybody for the last three games. Cause I think people (laughs) have been going and have been like, yep, shit, this is awesome. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And I think, you know, we've talked about it. And of course our, you know, our podcast is named after the place that we tailgated for years and, you know, and now we're in the East lot, but it's, it's a reflection of the fact that, that we as Northwestern fans and you as Northwestern fans, listeners get this, that 
the Northwestern tailgate scene of football games is a special place because it's so intimate and you're going to see everyone that you know in those places and you'll get to go. You can cover all the ground. I mean, we were joking um, uh, with the, the people that we were sitting with, you know, talking about Lake the Post's tailgate and how that's on the moon, relatively speaking, in the West Lot <laughs> at the far north end. But even that you can get to. And, you know, you can effectively go. It's like when we tailgate, you're like seeing your whole family. You're going around. You do. A, well, that's what the inside of Welsh Ryan is. Um, and, and as to kind of illustrate that, it just kind of hit me full bore before the game. I, because I got there, I don't know, probably an hour and 15 minutes before the game. So I went in. I found my seat. And then I went just walking around. I was like, all right, well, who can I see? So I saw Billy McKinney. Um, walking out. So I saw him in the concourse, stopped him, said, hey, you know, congratulated him on the jersey being retired and everything. Night, I mean, the nicest, friendliest guy. I mean, all of you who've, who've known, who know Billy McKinney and, you know, friend, I mean, you, you already know, but I mean, our, my experience, just the nicest guy. Couldn't have been warmer, couldn't have been more down to earth, fantastic guy to talk with. Ended up getting, we got a couple burgers at the, you know, at the, the, stand right there sat and ate our dinner um he was all excited you know getting for the game he's saying he loves to eat before the game and everything sat and had a nice chat with him ate some food and just be like this is so great it's such an intimate environment and then saw our friend lauren withrow you know who you all know lauren doing the awesome promos you know all during the games and everything went down said hi to her then went up because i hadn't seen the where wnur broadcasts men's basketball games because for those of you who don't know for men's games, WNUR is not courtside anymore. They have on the second, it's kind of a cool spot. Um, it's not courtside, but it's up on the second level, kind of in one of the corners looking down on the court. I mean, so it's more like a football vantage point. It's a great vantage point to see the game. It's just not courtside. So went up, talked with those guys for a while, checked out their whole setup and everything. Went, found our friend Kat, um, friend of the pod, um, who a lot of you know, um, talked with her. And then it was just hitting me like, my gosh, it's just you, it's like, it's all here. Everyone, you know, this intimate environment where it's super easy to go find all these people. It feels small. It feels communal. And yet it's this cavernous place at the same time. And just like Scuzz says, people are discovering it now and they're discovering what the potential of the place is. And that will self-reinforce because people are going to want to keep having that experience. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. So, like we said, one game left in the regular season. Um, heading out to Rutgers uh, on Sunday. Uh, take on the Scarlet Knights. Um, and I have not even begun to start looking at the uh, tie-breaking scenarios. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how. So ask I mean, chat B, ask chat GPT because I have. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's crazy to think cats could finish with a double buy. Um, 
or I, I, they can't fall into the bottom four, right? That that's that's no, not a, no, okay. no, no, that's not possible. So, all right, but so, they, I think they could you know, be the six seed. I think that's as far as they could drop. Lower. Is it? It's. I mean, it's 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 possible. So if Rutgers were to beat us, Rutgers would leapfrog us, and if I mean, there's a lot of stuff to be moved around and everything, a lot of moving parts, but we could fall certainly out of the top okay. four seeds in the conference tournament. That's yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, 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 for sure. Um, there's, I mean, it's, there's, it's all to play for. I mean, we're <laughs> to the point where Rutgers is a huge game and then they only get bigger from that point on. Yeah. It's, yep. it's, it's Rutgers and then it's elimination basketball. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I have no idea how the tiebreaker stuff's going to work out, too. But, I mean, yeah. if Northwestern... Well, it's it's elimination basketball, but I think it's important to note again, and we've said this many, many times, like, the Cats are in the NCAA tourney for the second time oh, yeah. ever. And right, it, like, absolutely. Like, it, that's, been, that's been locked in now for seven or eight games, um, which is kind of stunning to say. But just to remind everybody, like, the second time ever. This was yep. such a big deal the first time it happened. And the second time it happened, like like a full three weeks of the regular season were still to be played and Northwestern was in. And so we're not going to be, you know, some, Selection Sunday is about who's our opponent and where are we going and what's the little number next to our name. That's it. Yeah, if, if Northwestern loses to Rutgers and then blows their first game in the conference tournament, the most likely scenario is Northwestern's a nine seed. And the second most likely scenario is that Northwestern's what one of those like elevens in the play-in game or something like that. Northwestern's yeah. not winning the tournament, yeah. like Scuzz said. Northwestern's has eleven conference wins, no bad losses, a win over Purdue, and a sweep over Indiana. Like there's yeah. no, and a sweep over Iowa, who's yeah, who's second nope, in the nope. com- or or a split with Iowa, who's split second in Iowa the conference a, right now, and a split with Illinois, who's also split, um, right, yeah, yeah, Illinois. Right. Hey, I the, mean, one, the one the, other thing to note, like, so a, like a nine seed, I think it's worth pointing out in 2017, the first time we went, we were a, we were a, an eight seed. Right. I mean, it's like, and, and I'm talking about the floor because we all know Northwestern can beat Rutgers and Northwestern can do damage in the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, I mean, like, yeah, the Illinois game was a gut punch. Penn State game was a butt cut, uh, gut punch. Both of those a could have been cut. win. A, 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 butt, a butt cut and a gut punch. There's lots of pain. Lots of pain. Yep. Butt, uh, butt yeah. cut the, is going to be my new. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. yeah. The uh, but they but they could have gone the other way, and that on the books they're close losses. So the I mean the cats remain. They still have a great resume. It's about playing for for. For the chips still. It's still about the Big Ten tournament at this point, right? Yeah. I think we all want to see the Cats find their mojo against Rutgers and then roll into the Big Ten tournament and start, you know, trying to take some names, right? There's certainly a path. I mean, the this conference tournament's going to be littered with teams Northwestern has beaten all over the bracket, <laughs> regardless of, you know, whoever the Cats have to go through. Um, the the pay the picture's gonna look pretty good. So yeah, it's it's just about again scrubbing that 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 crazy disconnect that rough feeling and being like look like we need that revenge on pat spencer's brother we need to we need to even yeah, that score. no doubt no doubt well, I, I, i'll say something something that's encouraging to me from this penn state game and you saw him t- you saw him hit five threes but 
we've talked a bit about the emergence of Brooks Barnheiser for this team, but what, what was different to me against Penn State that wasn't as true against Maryland or Illinois or Iowa, and maybe it's, it's about who's defending him, but um, we, were running, we were running specific plays, the same specific play over and over again to get him open for, for a, a, a healthy look from three. And I, I feel like his, the plays in the offense that get run for him have gradually ticked up throughout the season because I think what you hear every, every night, and you're going to keep, and you're still going to hear this, you know, Rutgers Conference Tournament, NCAA Tournament, it is who, who's going along with Boo? Because Boo is going to be there offensively, Chase is going to be there defensively. And a lot of times it's been, hey, who's going to be the third guy after Chase? Well, Chase has been struggling to score, so we need, we need somebody else to step up. And, um, to my untrained eye, as I'm watching them run sets for Tiberius, I'm watching them run sets for Brooks Barnheiser. Um, Barnheiser has got the hotter hand and has got much more has got more ways he can score. Um, and I'm just I'm 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 excited to hopefully see more of that as we go forward. I do want to mention uh, the the women's tournament is going on. You know, as, as we record this on Thursday night. Uh, Cats played Wednesday night, uh, lost a tight one to Rutgers, sixty-three to fifty-nine. Um, you know, and ending what you know is it, it's a disappointing season. I mean, it, it just flat out is. But you know, there we've talked about it all year. The reasons for it, you know, we're trying to replace you know some of the best players in Northwestern women's basketball history, and you know, the the young kids. Uh, are still coming into their own. I mean, Kaylee Walsh had had a monster game, uh, twenty four points, eight boards. Uh, you know, she looked she looked great, and it it was a, a tight game all the way down to the end. And uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens next year. Is you know, they get a little uh, another year older, and uh, see who's coming into the coming into the program. Um, you know, I apologize for not being as up on the recruiting of the women's team as uh as i could be well and and we've talked about it before too that right it's it's a lot of team flux team of turnover coinciding with the big 10 being absolutely terrifying right now yeah yeah the conference will shift a lot next year that iowa indiana game tells you all you need to know i mean it was like you get the second ranked team in the country losing to the best player in the country hitting a shot Mm -hmm. at the buzzer i mean it's like Mm -hmm. I mean, Lord, is, is Caitlin yeah. Clark a senior yet? I mean, she is. I don't even think. Yeah. Okay. okay I think yeah. she is. So, yeah. I think so. Good. Good. Well, I mean, so like, just like, like really quick speaking of seniors, I just, I want to hit this fast and just say, you know, so Courtney, Sean, Sid Wood were two, I, I'll say surprise returns to the women's team this year. I didn't think they were both coming back, but they did. Um, they are, I, I assume that they're out of, out of years of eligibility. I would love to see one or both back again next year if I'm wrong about that, but they're both likely gone. Kayla Rainey is likely gone, uh, point guard, and then Layla Hartman. But um, I, you know, I, f- I feel like Kaylee Walsh really emerged this year as I mean she would you know she she played a lot uh, at center last year as well, but really emerged as an as an offensive threat and leader in the conference this year. You had Haley Weaver emerging as a just spectacular perimeter defender, um, someone you know. Looking to uh, you know earn some of uh, Veronica Burton's monikers uh, for her ability to steal the ball. Um, Caroline Lau had, a, had an, an awesome year as a true freshman. Um, Paige Mott comes back hopefully as a senior next year on the front line. 
Um, so Jillian Brown is someone that um, has played a fair amount the last two years and has a, has a high ceiling. So there's a lot of talent in this team. And I just, I think, you know, to look at this year and say, oh, well, we went on that run and we're done now is, I, I just think it's a misnomer because, you, you know. No, I, you look I, at, I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I, we're done. No, and I don't think anybody's. I don't. I, I don't think people are doing that. I'm just. I guess I'm just. You know, that's that's just, just my my, just my, turn of, my turn of phrase yeah. there. Yeah, sure, but sure. but now you're now you're talking about the recruits coming into their, you know, their sophomore, junior, senior years that were pulled in on the backs of those Pulliam and Burton teams that were so good. The run in uh, the NCAA tournament. The run in the um, uh, in the uh, NIT and um, you know everything everything that you know Burton was able to accomplish her her senior year and, and everything so I just I think there's there's a lot of exciting players and excitement um, to come in that space I I, I do want to correct uh, our real quick Caitlin Clark is a yeah junior. that's what I thought. Ah, she's I like, back, now, she's I mean, back next year she'd be the can she declare early I mean she's going to be probably the number one of the number two pick of the WA NBA draft. If she, she would, out, she wouldn't be know. number one. She wouldn't be number one. I think right? uh, um, uh, the, the girl from South Carolina, Aaliyah, Aaliyah yeah, Boston, Boston would be no, is yeah. number one with, yeah, Boston's number one with a bullet, but yeah. um, I don't know. But, Clark, Clark might be a number two. Yeah. So, she's but I mean, pretty I, baller, but I mean, I, I mean, Lord, I mean, she's just practically deified in Iowa right now. I mean, that shot was, she's, she's unbelievable. She's the real deal. Yeah. Like get her out of the conference. <laughs> um, but I, on the backs of what you, you just mentioned, I, I'm glad you brought it up though, because particularly with Wood and Shaw, um, uh, Wood and Shaw, but Rainey too. It's just talking about these are players who've been, they were part of some of the greatest women's basketball teams ever at Northwestern, right? Um, reserve players, role players, but if you go back to their sophomore years, their junior years, right, they're part of some of the the great Northwestern basketball teams. Um, they are key. They were key role players on those teams. They were a part of all of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, it didn't end up for them the way they would have liked, but they are always going to be a piece of that just unbelievable special era of women's basketball. Uh, quick, quick check in on the the spring sports. Um, you know, lacrosse. Uh, taking care of Marquette uh, back on the 23rd, uh, so you know a week, a week or so ago, um, you know, 21-14, and you know continuing on this weekend against Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm sure that game's going to be you know, in the dome. Uh, they're not they're not playing outside yet, but uh, yeah, Vandy's coming in uh, for lacrosse. Uh, softball had you know a trip to the Mary Nutter Classic. And, you know, had, had some success. Yeah, they did have success. And, I mean, there are, there are kind of two ways to look at it. And I would say overall, if you're going to take the measure of the weekend as a reflection of the measure of the season, I'm still, I'd say, glass half full here. The, I mean, the, the down part is Northwestern played two awesome Pac-12 teams. Oregon, who's very good, and UCLA, who's the number one team in the country. And they lost both of those games two to one. And both of the pitchers in those games, all the, everyone who pitched in that game was not Danielle Williams. And we were kind of in shock at the time, thought that she was hurt. And then she came right out against Kentucky and threw smoke for an entire game. So it's, 
it's a mix of two things. You've got, and we've talked about this before, you've got the hitting's a, a tick down right now. I think you've got a bunch of first years that are still coming in and are kind of looking to find someone, one from that group who's really going to get hot at the plate. And you don't have that. And then you have all the names um, that we know and love who we've all seen have massive hitting. I'd say overall as a group, they're down. You still have Jordan Rudd having these major moments. I mean, she has so, had several home runs this weekend. You have Ant- Including the one against UCLA. Right, including the one against UCLA. Angela Zedak has been hitting for power. But overall, I'd say across all games, the hits have not been there. And then you have games like Kentucky, again, number 18 Kentucky, where there's just an offensive explosion. But I would look at it like this. You had four pitchers pitch this weekend. All four, right? It was uh, Sidney Supley, Danielle Williams, Cami Henry, and Lauren Boyd all pitched this weekend and were all awesome this weekend against good teams. In some case, I mean, really good teams, right? And I think there's there's going to be a progression to the mean uh, relative to the hitting. You, We've seen all the girls on this team. We know what they're all capable of hitting the ball they're going to find their groove and you're going to see some of these younger hitters find it. Now, again, you're not going to have a Rachel Lewis. Like you're just not, that's not a replaceable player, but you're going to see the team overall. But this is, I mean, I, I mean, right now this is track and be one of the best rotations Northwestern's ever had. I mean, the, the, I mean, statistically, the the fact that it's oh, a rotation. It's, it's, I mean, it's not just Danielle Williams oh, and everyone else. And the and statistically, right now, if you were to look at the stats, I think one of the l- lowest pitchers statistically is going to be Danielle Williams. We know that's a joke. She's going to be just unbelievable. Like she's Danielle Williams. She's probably. I mean, what you saw against Kentucky, that's the norm for her. So. Yeah, and then you see all this support and Coach Drohan. You can tell. I mean, like in hindsight, like having Supley come out. I, I mean, I'm I'm doing this off the top. I believe Supley was pitched against UCLA, and and I yeah. think was it Boyd against Oregon, or was it Henry against? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they were both yeah, no, and they were both great. So right. I mean, it's clearly a decision by Coach Drohan to be like, look, I think I've really got something here with the pitching. So early on in the season, we are going to really test this. Well, Lordy, when we get into the Big Ten season and you have the ability to do this, and then like we talked about, as as amazing as last season was in the postseason, poor Danielle, the amount of miles she put on that arm, um, this is looking like it's going to be a different thing. So again, the bats need to wake up. I you know, I think we're all pretty confident that they will. Um, and if the pitching stays like this, this is going to be a great team. A uh, couple tidbits of news coming out of the football arena. Um, should we start with the good news or the bad news first? Let's let's get the bad news out of the way. Okay, so this is bad news for everyone uh, who's a Northwestern fan. It's medium news for me. Uh, <laughs> but good Same, as a Broncos yeah, fan. At, as, as, they, uh, as they go out to e- Evanston West, <laughs> Denver Broncos. Yeah. Uh, Lou Ianni, uh heading out to uh, to the Broncos uh, to be the Broncos' new running back coach, uh, joining Zach Streif and Austin King on Sean Payton's uh, coaching staff. So awesome for the Broncos. Absolutely love it. 
But, you know, that's just another uh, piece turning over, you know, losing Ryan Smith to the Cardinals and then Ianni to the Broncos. You know, two really solid coaches getting you know, a chance to run in the NFL. Great for them. But it, it's you know, more new, new blood coming in to the coaching staff uh, for Pat Fitzgerald. Well, I, w- I want to hit the NFL angle real quick. And that's like, so what's interesting here, obviously you just cited the three players, all all former Northwestern players that are all going to go, you know, coach under, under Peyton. And we've had a lot of listeners reach out to us over the course of the week. We, you know, we talked about this on Twitter, but um, I guess Peyton was Randy Walker's offensive coordinator at Miami of Ohio in 95, I believe. Yeah, um, that's right. So the, the connection to Northwestern um, is pretty interesting. There's Zach Streif, of course, played uh for those new orleans saints teams um under peyton for all those years and was uh an outstanding left tackle um won a super and Bowl I, I believe i believe walker recommended him oh interesting interesting yeah walker um, walker mentioned walker told peyton about streif that's fascinating i didn't know that part so like so that's that's interesting that's some of the why here certainly of of um the threads that are pulling these these guys together um i also think like there were a lot of folks kind of bemoaning this um, this turn of events that we've lost two assistant coaches to the NFL, um, and I just want everybody to go back into the into the into the rewind machine to like 2018, 2019, when we were tearing our hair out about Mick McCall and the fact that this staff hadn't turned anybody over. No, nobody wanted to hire Northwestern coaches, um, which to all of us kind of seemed like a red flag. Like, well, maybe you know maybe there's a reason for that. And there's a reason that everybody's staying at Northwestern. We have such, you know, um, stability in the coaching staff, et cetera. So I just like, I point that out, not, not to, you know, suggest that, Oh, it, you know, this is, this is a great thing for Northwestern. And and it's, it's great that we're losing these coaches. And we get to go get new blood. I'm not saying that what I'm saying is like, you can't have it both ways. Like, and, and frankly, I do believe coaches move, you know, Northwestern coaches being desired elsewhere, especially the NFL is, is net beneficial and net net, like healthy for the program. I think you can ask some other questions around like, well, what was Lou Ianni's relationship with Jake? Should he have been considered for the offensive coordinator? You know, would he have stayed? Like, I think those are all very legitimate things to ask, but I, but like this kind of blanket response of, Oh God, we're losing people. Now the end is nigh. Like, I just, I think that's a little over the top. Well, so, and, and that's the thing, like you've done a really good job and you did on Twitter of, of illustrating that exact thing, right? That it's like in, in general, this is the goal. I mean, Alabama turns over their whole staff, yep. like every couple of years. Right. And that, yep. but obviously it's it's paired in this particular case with the fact that Northwestern is not winning any games right now. And these are, and that's it's bad. It's <laughs> it, right in the short term, in the immediate, we're talking about a team that's just lost 20 games. That's losing two of the best young coaches in certainly in the big 10, right? If not college football. And so on top of all of this changeover, we're already having in the, in the coaching staff. And again, it's like a lot of this stuff is is the norm. And we were talking to a couple of people like very connected to college football who are like, look, this is this is the, this kind of thing is the norm. And it's like, sure, it's just you're seeing a crazy amount of coaches going in and out of the program right now, coupled with a lot of losing. And in the in the immediate term, it's just it's. It's a lot of flux for a team that needs some stability and needs to find its footing right now. So, but right. I mean, in general, like those were two great hires by Pat Fitzgerald 
who did great work and now will go on and do more good work. And as Scuzz, you said online, it's the pressure on Fitz to keep doing it. You got to keep making those great hires yeah, that- and keep bringing those guys in. But I mean, you know, speaking of that, I think when we were looking at, for example, David Braun, what's one of the first things that we do, right? We go and we test the integrity of the coaching tree at the place where these people are coming from and saying, all right, well, what what does that pipeline look like? What kind of people have come through that place? Where have they gone and what have they done, right? And it's a measure of of the quality of a program and the quality of the hiring that's going on at a program like that. And Scuzz is right. You want Northwestern to become that kind of place with that kind of reputation and and regardless of the immediacy of, of this, right, two great young coaches going on like that is going to help us build that reputation. Uh, so, you know, as, as we talk about, you know, the reputation of the program, you know, we have the uh, an, another, you know, the good news that I, I was referring to um, as we look at the, uh, the scouting combine, the NFL scouting combine uh, happening uh, this week in Indianapolis. Um Atatamoa Adebore uh, has shown I'm just, I'm just out. Literally, I'm just goodness. literally like, I mean, this is where we are right now. Literally where we are right now is, is 2022 football team wins. One. 2023 NFL first round draft picks. Two? Maybe? <laughs> one, one for, one for sure. sure. And, and if, I mean. Yeah, Adebore just lit it up. I mean, coming off the senior bowl where he was uh, named the national team's defensive line practice player of the week uh, by the, by his peers, by all, all the players, you know, playing in the, in the game named him the defensive player of the week. Um, You know, he didn't play in the actual game, but you know, nobody really cares about the actual game. That wasn't just the the, the practices. That wasn't just an effort award. You all saw the videos. He was destroying people. Today, uh, like I say, as we're recording this on Thursday, the uh, defensive linemen and linebackers uh, had their day in the sun uh, for uh, for the combine. Yeah, Adabare, uh, just you know, check checks in at two hundred eighty-two pounds, six foot two, uh, and a four-five-four-four. He, he ran a four-four-nine at two hundred eighty-two pounds. That's insane. Yeah, that reminds me of. It, yeah, it was they, four they, five four. They, they it was four five four. On, they they recap. Yeah, four five four unofficially, <laughs> and then they, and then like they, they tuned it down. Faster than the clock, and they they dropped it down. I mean, four four nine is wideout speed. I mean, it's crazy, and right, and then like I mean, he's and there there was hype right even coming where people were like last his summer workouts last summer were absolutely ridiculous, and then right his his senior bowl and everything he's i mean i think of this as like a don tari poe kind of situation right i think of don tari poe from memphis as he was carrying what like some insane amount of weight as a dt 330 pounds or something and churned in like a 482 40 or something like that or whatever it was and blew everybody away and just raw athleticism and that's what adabari is doing right now i mean he is absolutely dominating i mean his num it's everything it's his like agility drills it's his raw speed it's his lifting it's i mean he so i don't know if have we said this yet like that like the time that he posted is the fastest time in combine history for an interior defensive lineman it's it's ridiculous yeah they you know i saw this uh superimposed image of his run up against aiden hutchinson and nick bosa Yep, he beat and him. he right. blew both of them out and, of the water. 
one thing to understand too and remember i mean obviously i mean again it's like a little bit of gallows humor about the fact that northwestern could potentially have two first round draft picks and one win last season but in a way it kind of bolsters because all these teams are looking like they're not stupid as you all know as we all know northwestern was starved for interior linemen overall and that just means that atomiowa got doubled all the time all those all teams weren't stupid like they get it they're like that. Guy, that guy is a freight train. Double him. He's not going to get doubled in the NFL. Like he's going to play. I mean, yeah. the, he'll be find some sort of optimal role, even if it's in the interior. Um, he's you know, and yeah. Well, 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 there was some commentary during the Senior Bowl or during the practice week, and I can't remember if it was Dan Olowski or somebody else, but like looking at some of the video on tape and saying like, "Oh, it's so great to see this guy at the Senior Bowl and and get a chance to do things that he." quote unquote, wasn't allowed to do at Northwestern. And I think that point about this, like he was the best player, like by far on that defensive line and was the target of every offense um, in every game and still made a sizable impact many, many times that you all remember. But um, I think it also dovetails the fact that we relieved our defensive coordinator and our defensive line coach of their duties. Right. And so there were some, Obviously, there were no questions about Jim O'Neill at the end of the year, but I think I think the Marty Long news certainly took some folks by surprise. But you look at the 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 performance of of Adabare here that we're seeing at you know as he as he aspires to the pro level, and it is hard to not see at least some gap doubled or not between what he did for Northwestern in the last two years and whether that's schematic, whether that's about like how much freedom he was given, the techniques he was being taught, et cetera, et cetera. Like we, like we're not going to be able to discern that. Um, but it does, um, I don't know. It does help me understand where some of those decisions were yeah, coming from. No, I agree. And, and again, I mean, and it's easy to go, I mean, and, and you're totally right. And it's easy to be like, Oh, and that's like where some of the problems were and then be like, Oh gosh. And like, what's the D line going to be like with him? Got look, all the, all the, all <laughs> valid concerns, all valid concerns, but allow yourselves, right. Especially with all the good feels we've had coming out of this basketball season and the ability to just, you know, say like, let's just live in these good moments. The first round of the NFL draft potentially could be great. Y'all remember what it was like to have two people drafted before. Well, we know Man Bear Pete's going. And at the yep. end of the first round, and and this is where we do our side plug for the Westlot Pirates live draft show that we encourage you all to tune into. Um, at the end of the first round, there's going to be this question, is someone going to jump up and reach into the first round and grab Atatamoa Atabare? Um and and because they see all that raw potential and it's really possible that it's going to happen he's looking like a he's looking like a top of day two pick but i mean again it's just he's a rocket ship rocketing up draft boards right now so so living yeah, yeah. well we'll have, to, we'll have to see how his pro day goes and how things transpire yep. from yep. here but like yeah. yeah so so it's going to be a really fun draft night that opening round of the nfl draft there's going to be a Northwestern flavor to it for the second draft in three years. And it's going to be, uh, I think, really fun for all of us. Uh, we got Cam Mitchell going on uh, Friday the 3rd. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how he does. Um, Saturday is quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends. So, you know, nothing, nothing to see here as far as Northwestern is concerned. Uh, but then Sunday, you've got uh, Pete Skaronsky and Evan Hull uh, ready to show out. And like, Hall has been getting some really, really good yep. uh, chatter leading he, into the 
you know, he, people are talking really, really highly of him. He got a lot of Senior Bowl love well, as well. And should yeah. have gotten the love of being the MVP of the Senior Bowl. Let's bring that up one more time. But he, but right. And there's someone mm. on YouTube. I just was like seeing it today. I think someone has like this long video that's like 20 minutes on just, now again, we're not talking, I'm not talking like NFL Network. This isn't like Peter Schrager going down on like, 25 minutes on Evan Hall, but there's someone who's not a Northwestern person who took all the time to be like, in a late round, if this guy's available, you have to grab him and here's why, and then went deep on it. And it's like, so yeah, Evan Hall's got people's attention for sure. Yeah, for a, a two star back with no other top you know, power five offers, right? Right, John? So drive, drive it in. Drive it in. So <laughs> somewhere out there, Sorry. Evan Hall's dad's listening and laughing to this right now. Exactly. And, and, de- and deservedly, and deservedly so. Uh, deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, and and again, he's he's shown them since the beginning, shown idiots like me since the beginning, and you know, I think, but I think, yeah, the words, I you know, as while we're here, I feel like there have been times in years past, right, where we've always tried to project when certain guys are going to go, and then it comes in and it's like, oh man, I really thought that that guy was going to go like a couple rounds higher than he ended up going. It doesn't feel that yes. way this year. It feels like these guys yeah. are guys who are loaded with raw tools that teams covet. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of these guys, like, you're going to, you get fourth round or something like that. And someone's going to be like, well, boy, like, it's, you know, all these things, teams are looking like, oh man, that super fast guy that's great at catching the ball out of the backfield. We need one of those. Grab him now. And so don't be surprised if that happens. But yeah, let's, let's see them continue to. It, it's probably. It's probably important to note in that that like, a obviously we have a bias toward toward Northwestern players. Um, Northwestern, you know, has had players that put up good numbers, but maybe don't have like the lateral speed to really engage in the NFL. One such player who was who was um, scouted that way was Anthony Walker Jr., who I will remind everyone is still a starting linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts. And they're Browns, very good Browns, now, Browns, yeah. Browns. Oh, he's, he's on the Browns. Browns now. Now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so, but he's he's oh, still yeah. a starter in the NFL, right? And has been for, yeah. for four years or so. Um, and uh, the Colts got him, I want to say, in the sixth after he was, I think, pegged as a, as a fourth-round draft pick. So, like, some teams are quite bad at this, <laughs> <laughs> I might add. Um, a lot of teams have gotten a lot better. Um, as the analytics era has come to come to fruition, everybody knows that's my bias, of course. But um, you know, it's it's it is always fun to to see where these guys go. And uh, I, you know, again, like health of the program, I think it is like yeah, comparing wins and and top draft picks is really problematic. But um, net net, this is good for yeah, Northwestern. I, I I feel like yeah, honor bound since we've talked about all these to directly talk about man bear Pete. There's been some chatter, so like. Obviously, and this is not news to anybody. I mean, for a tackle in the NFL, he's not particularly tall and he's not particularly long relative to a tackle. So it's six four with whatever his arm length is, et cetera. I mean, there's someone found some split screen of um an Iowa guy being able to, you know, defensive end being able to get an extended arm on him due to due to arm length. And again, it's a really cherry picked still frame. So you have a lot of people, probably Iowa fans, leaping on that image and being like, ha, ah, like, look at that short arms, like blah, blah, blah. And then all the analysts being like, yeah, until you turn on the video and it's like, you know, congratulations. Don't let those quote unquote short arms get on you because if they do, he's going to drive you into the floor because that's what all the tape shows. And so 
did, didn't Rashawn Slater get yep. knocked for yeah, a short arm thing. leg too? Exactly. Same so, thing. Project, I mean, pro- projected as a guard, you know, given that like, oh, he could play any position right. on the offensive line moniker. And like all the really smart people were like, don't be idiots. Yeah, and he just, this dude's like your left tackle for the right. next decade. So that's so, I think. And that, again, self-reinforces. Didn't didn't Roger Sherman even just comp? Uh, or the ringer did, yeah. The ringer comped or maybe it was to, the, to the ringer, Slater. The ringer NFL yeah, overall. They're like, yeah. Yeah, comp, comps, man, bear, Pete to, to, to Good Slater, comp, yeah. accurate comp, yeah. And that you'll see that show out on draft day. I just need to see Man Bear Pete slap a uh, uh, a small weight room guy <laughs> yeah. as he's preparing for his Ex- pro day. Ex- that's 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 the only thing that's <laughs> exactly. missing now. <laughs> or shove. Sure. I guess that mix of yeah, we need to we need to see. I need to see uh, Gunnar Vogel emerge from stage right at the combine with that look of amusement and terror, <laughs> just, <laughs> just dying laughing. Right. All right. Anything else uh, to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Nah, just, you know, buckle up. It's going to be crazy into basketball season and then postseason and, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, let's just, the team is the team and they've had this unbelievable run. But it bears mentioning one more time that it allowed Northwestern Nation to see what Welsh Ryan is like when it gets packed full of Northwestern people and that it is every bit as special as you want it to be. And it that it, it truly is a special, unique place that is a dynamite place for Northwestern to, to make these home stands for basketball. And I, I'm just super excited that we've kind of drawn the curtain on it for this year, but everyone's going to be so stoked to get a piece of it next year. And that's just awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that'll uh, just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LaCombe and Eric Scouse, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.